Lord, we recognize that our freedom isn't free, uh, whether it's uh, here in our country, there was a price paid for us to be able to experience the freedoms that we have, uh, whether it's in our faith, we understand that the freedom that we have in Christ came at a high cost, the highest, uh, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so it's proper for us to take time from time to time to remember, um, may we always remember uh, the sacrifices made on our behalf. Uh, may we esteem those who have uh, provided us our freedom. May we remember uh, the cost and the price that was paid. Uh, in the same breath, God, may we always remember and esteem uh, you and uh, what you've done on our behalf. Your grace is amazing. It is unmerited, uh, and yet you lavish it on us, not just at the cross, but on a daily basis. You grant us so much in life. So as we turn now to your word and uh, seek to understand you from it, uh, would you lead us, God, into an understanding of your ways and would you help me as uh, your, your vessel this morning, your speaker this morning, to speak the things that you'd have me say. Uh, guide us in life, God. Show us uh, your will and your ways, I pray. Uh, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Yeah, Memorial Day is way more than a day off, and I, I pray you take time uh, in the next uh, 24 to 36 hours to be mindful of uh, the gift that we have in our country in this freedom that we have to even worship this morning. How's everybody doing? It is great to see you here on this uh, rainy Memorial Day weekend. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Acts chapter 20. Uh, we're going to just uh, look at a, a few verses there in the story of a guy named Paul who was instrumental in writing most of your New Testaments and starting uh, most of the churches that we know of uh, from the early first century uh, Christian church. All right. Let's talk about the Bible some. Let's do that, shall we? Great Expectations, a book by Charles Dickens, uh, but a, a life motto for most people who live on this earth. Anybody got expectations for their life? Anybody got some goals and some designs on your future? Anybody? This is, <laughs> this is a very laid-back crowd. No hopes for anything in any of you. Anybody got a hope? Anybody hoping to have lunch after this is over? Start there. Okay, good. That was simple. That was nice. Wow. It's going to be a long morning. Uh, let me just say this. All of us have expectations in life. It's just natural. It's a human condition to have hopes for our future. If you were here the last couple of weeks, though, we understand that we don't hold our future. God is sovereign over it, and uh, we can inform all the expectations that we have, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Oftentimes in my life, my expectations didn't work out like I thought at all. Anybody? Sometimes they worked out way better. Who's had those experiences where you thought it was going to be this, and you're like, whoa, that was awesome. Like you went to this restaurant, it doesn't look really that great on the outside, but you got inside, and it was the best omelet you ever had in your life. Someone gave you a slim clip, and you thought, well, that's not going to be that big a deal, but it revolutionized how you carry your money and cards forever. Birthday parties, like surprise birthday parties. Who's ever had a, a bad, who's had a surprise birthday party in your life? Anybody? And, and you walk in and it's just kind of a normal day and all of a sudden everybody you know and love is in there and there's cake. <laughs> yeah, sometimes our expectations are far exceeded. I walked down uh, an aisle uh, 26 plus years ago and married the woman that I love. And I loved her then and I thought she was awesome, but I had no idea how far I had outkicked my coverage when I married Eleanor May. Yeah, lots of times our expectations are blessedly exceeded. But sometimes uh, they're worse. 
I was in Trinidad, Tobago on my first mission trip, and I had eaten, uh, you know, another country's food for about 10 days. Uh, It's an Indian-African mesh and lots of spices, and um, it was hot and humid, and I was just, I was a 24-year-old youth pastor, and I just wanted something that tasted like home, and we stopped at this roadside, um, uh, you know, stand that had some pastries and things like that, and I saw it. I looked at it. It looked like a donut hole. Sugar all over the top, you know, nice golden brown color, and I said, I want that, and Prakash, my host, uh, who was driving our vehicles that week, said, hey, you might want to slow down. Before he could even say it, I grabbed this tamarind ball, and I took a huge chunk out of it. If you don't know what tamarind is, it's like one of the most sour things on the earth. And so I had expected this great sugary delight, and, I, uh, and, and the first rule of missions is don't spit it out. That's the first rule. So I had to sit there and chew this thing. It's still, to this day, the worst thing I've ever put in my mouth. And I've put some really nasty stuff in my mouth, just so you know. Sometimes things don't work out at all. Sometimes things work out just different. You know, yesterday we were expecting, you know, huge throngs to come up to our car show that a tropical storm uh, kind of negated. And uh, there was lots of scurrying and, and, uh, and, and figuring things out from there. But uh, I walked into our kitchen last night and there's all the pallets of soda and drinks and hot dog buns. And just, we don't control the weather. Do you control the weather? I have an app that tells me what it's going to do. And even that's wrong most of the time. <laughs> I'm getting in a car. My wife and I are driving to an airport right after the second service. Like, literally, I'm going to walk off the stage and get in the car because I've got to catch a flight to fly up to where my mom lives in Peoria, Illinois. So I could drive my mom from Peoria, Illinois to uh, eastern Canada, Brunswick. Longer story short here, uh, my grandmother has, has basically outaged her caregivers in the home that she lived in. She's 102 years old. And so... Uh, uh, the folks who had been taking care of her for the last 10 or 15 years, now they need caregivers. And, uh, yeah, go Nana. Uh, but if, uh, if, if you've come from countries with nationalized medicine, things can move kind of slow as far as placement and next spots. And uh, mom's an only child, and so it's on her to go for as many months as it takes to get Nana settled in her next spot. And mom is, you know, not 40 anymore. She's got some of her own medical issues. Those sprung up about a week and a half ago. She was in the hospital for, you know, a morning, and uh, upon hearing that from my sister, I was like, hey, mom, I think I'm going to drive you across the country in your car, if that's okay. And she was fine with it, but just, just so you know, these next three days, I had not planned to be driving halfway across North America. Now, I'm grateful to be able to do it with my mom. I'm looking forward to it, uh, to be honest with you. But sometimes things just change, because that's life. We've been talking about this volume day. And even when it comes to living the ways of God, um, we have our hopes, we have our expectations. Uh, we trust God when we bear our children, uh, that they're going to grow up in the way that they should go and that they'll never depart from it. Uh, we trust God that when we move to certain places that uh, he's going to prosper us there, like it says in Jeremiah, and everything's going to go great. We trust God that when we walk down the aisle with that special someone, that'll, that everything that we've committed to on that day will last forever. But a lot of times, things that we hope and expect don't work out always as we expect them to. The question I want us to answer today as we kind of go through this story from uh, Paul's life here in the book of Acts is, what should we expect as we pursue the ways of God? What should we expect on the volume day? 
Let me just read you some of the verses that kind of get us uh, to the point where I want to really talk about that question specifically. In uh, chapter 20, verse 17, uh, the story starts like this in this particular phase of Paul's life. Now, from Miletus, Paul had basically been hanging around Asia Minor and planting churches. If you go back just a couple chapters, he was in a place called Ephesus, uh, from whence we get our books, uh, Ephesians, and even First and Second Timothy, because uh, Tim was the pastor in Ephesus. And uh, uh, he's, he's basically been hanging out as he wanted to and, and was want to, uh, planting churches wherever God kind of gave him an opportunity to do so. Uh, he had been in uh, Macedonia and, and this place called Miletus, and uh, the Holy Spirit, as we're going to find out, comes to him and says, here's what's next. And so in preparation for what's next in his life, he sends to his uh, other church friends in uh, Ephesus, uh, specifically the elders there. He, he, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church uh, to come to him. Hey, y'all, let's get together. I got some things I want to say for you. It's not going to do for them to be said in a letter. Uh, sail to where I am so that we can have a conversation. So when they came to him, uh, he, uh, as Luke records here in the book of Acts, he launches into this diatribe. Uh, he says to them, hey, you yourselves know. He's calling their memory out. He says, you yourselves know uh, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul's reminding him, or reminding the, the elders at Ephesus, rather, that uh, his, his time with them was focused, that he uh, persevered in his purpose while he was there with them. Before I get to the things I want to talk about, the Viam Day, can we just all agree that persevering and purpose is a good thing? Like, if you know you're supposed to do something, First of all, you should do it. And then even as things go wrong as you're doing it or as challenges arise in the midst of your doing, you should keep doing it if you know that's what you're supposed to do. Paul says, hey, man, the whole time that I was with you, regardless of the challenges that came up, I was on mission. And I did what God purposed for me to do. Lots of things happened in Ephesus that could have sent you know, a lesser man just packing Paul went to the synagogue when he first got there. He hung out for three months. They booted him out of there after he was constantly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he, he rented a hall, it tells us, uh, from a guy named Tyrannus. Uh, and he paid out of his own money for this, this meeting space so that he could continue over the next two years to share the gospel. Uh, hanging out midday with those who would bother to come and gather. And it says there in, in Acts 19 that, uh, basically, because of those two years, everybody in Asia, everybody in the region around Ephesus had an opportunity to hear the gospel. Why? Because Paul persevered in his purpose. You know, at first, his, his, his first letdowns keep him from going uh, where he wanted to go. Things got uh, better and then got worse. Anybody had that in life? Yeah, because of his perseverance, many people came to Christ. So many people came to Christ that people started burning their idols that they had used to worship before they met Jesus. Well, this put a real dent in the idol makers' uh, pockets, and so uh, the you know idol idol makers union 301 decided to kind of you know bring a complaint to the Better Business Bureau that Paul was ruining their business, and it kind of went from there. They got very angry with Paul, and they actually caused a riot in the streets of Ephesus. Uh, the Jews who didn't like Paul chimed in. Uh, others who were just looking for a fight got together, and they all landed in the in the town theater. They took two hostages, not Paul, but a couple of his friends, and. Uh, they were on the way to killing him until the city clerk, unnamed, gets up, basically says, hey, fellas, maybe you should go home. And they did. 
But through it all, Paul persisted in his purpose. God's given us all different personalities. Some of us are just naturally better at purpose. We're kind of more um, driven and, and we're more uh, focused in life just by nature. Some of us aren't at all. Squirrel, right? And we just kind of fly off into whatever's next. In fact, some of us will always, you know, hold out for what could be better. There's been a trailer sitting in my front yard for six months now. I've managed to avoid it pretty well. Early on in the process, I gutted some things and had some people over to look at it, but every time I get a break, I seem to find, uh, you know, a great excuse not to work on that trailer. There's always golf, right? There's always uh, anything else. But the trailer's not going to fix itself. How are you doing with living your life on purpose? What are the things that you know God has called you to do and you just haven't gotten around to it yet? What are the things that may be hard, may be difficult, may present all kinds of troubles and troubles and trials and, 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 and may cause you to need to persevere, but, but, but you still know that you need to do them. What are those things and, and why aren't you doing them? Now, may we all go home and if nothing else after hearing this sermon, may we understand from God his purpose for us and then if we've kind of taken breaks or if we've never even started, may we see progress in the purposes that God has in our lives. Maybe it's a conversation that we've needed to have uh, with someone over a hurt from the past, an apology that needs to be made. Maybe there's a loving, con a loving confrontation that needs to take place on uh, this vacation weekend, this holiday weekend where we remember. Maybe it's fixing your trailer. <laughs> Maybe it's a phone call to a friend. I don't know. But whatever God's called you to do, persevere. Let's go on with the story, though. It's not what I wanted to preach to you this morning. <laughs> Paul goes on and he says to the friend, his friends of our message, he says, remember how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and I taught you in public uh, and from house to house, and, and I testified both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, hey, remember, I came to you and I lived on purpose the whole time. I persevered despite all the things that came in my way and I, 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 I just purposed to tell you the truth. No matter what, in your houses, in the hall of Tyrannus, in, in the streets, wherever it was required, I just, I sought to tell you the truth. You know, if Paul had any success in Ephesus, uh, the Holy Spirit prompted him to persevere in his purpose, and the Holy Spirit gave him the ability to speak the truth. Oh, the world that we live in needs more truth. Anybody with me on that? The world needs more truth. The world needs more people speaking the truth. We live in a world where too many important things are left unsaid. We convince ourselves it's just easier to let them slide, or maybe we're afraid that we won't say them well if we try. Almost all of us suffer from fear of what might happen if we did speak the truth. If we said the things that needed to be said in our relationships, if we stood up for Jesus in the places where no one else was. Let Paul be our example. He spoke the truth. He spoke the truth in love, but he spoke the truth. And a lot of times we kind of veer off to the poles. Lots of us are great at speaking the truth without love especially when a keyboard is between us and whoever we're talking to. Lots of us are great at loving people and never speaking the truth. 
And we just kind of live on in this uh, unspoken tension. Some of us in here have certain people in our lives where they neither speak the truth nor love. And that's a whole other ball of wax. May the Holy Spirit prompt your heart in both of those things with, the most, with those difficult people. Remember what Jesus said, not just love your neighbor, love your, even if your neighbor is your enemy. Yeah. God needs us to be givers of both truth and love. I had the joy this, uh, just a couple days ago, my whole family arrived at my house. My son lives in Jacksonville, my daughter lives in Tallahassee, our other son lives with us. Uh, but very rarely these days is Kai's going to school and Ben's now living in Jacksonville, do we ever get together? We're in that phase of life. And so even if it's for 24 hours, which is all we had uh, with all three of our kids, uh, we just love having the opportunity to hang out with them. And we had a great day Friday and Friday night. Normally I'd take everybody out, but we decided to cook because guess what? Ben's become quite the little chef. Who knew it was in him, right? I just, I saw the grocery bills with him growing up. I knew he could eat, right? But uh, he's, he's gotten quite accomplished at cooking. He actually found, we didn't even know he had a food processor, but he found it and he made this great chipotle sauce. Anyway, I digress. I got to help Ben in the kitchen and I've been open with you about kind of where we're at with our boy Ben and some of the things that are happening with him. They're the same things that happened with his dad when he was around the same age, a little bit younger, but I had these crises of faith and many of you have had family members who are kind of sorting their stuff out as they go along and Ben's in that phase. And it's been really uh, difficult for us sometimes to know what to do in this situation. You know, uh, my, my tendency is to speak the truth. Like headlock styles. Anybody with me on that? <laughs> Pull your head out. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that's my bet. But God's taught me that there needs to be balance between truth and love. And you know how God often uh, surprises us in moments that we aren't expecting him to? God, God gave us a great conversation over making guacamole. And God entered us into spaces in our relationship where Ben just, you know, cooking's great for conversation, by the way. I'm going to do that more often, I think. Anyway, uh, but we just, we had, I mean, the details don't matter. I'm not going to share everything that's going on in my family. But we had a great, honest, loving truthful conversation. I'm grateful for it. And there needs to be more of that in your life and in my life. But that's not what I want to talk to you about either. Let's get to the question that we wanted to talk about. What, what should we expect as we pursue the Viam day? And that's what follows now in, in the story of, of Paul's interaction with uh, uh, these Ephesian elders. Four things, and, and they'll go real quick. Here we go. What should we expect as we pursue the Viam day? The first one is we need to expect the Spirit to prompt us in things in life. Paul says this in verse 22, and now, after his reminders to them of their time together in Ephesus, he says, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. I'm not knowing what will happen there, but I'm going. Jerusalem uh, was a dangerous spot for Paul and, and uh, equally dangerous for other Christians. In fact, uh, around the time of uh, Paul's being Saul, there was this guy, Stephen, who was stoned uh, to death for being a Christian in, in Jerusalem, and, and that caused what's called the Great Diaspora, the Great Dispersion. The Christians left Jerusalem in droves because it just wasn't safe to be there. There was a church that still persisted there, but it was the most persecuted church of all the churches in the first century. And Paul, having switched teams, having been uh, a, 
persecutor of the Christians and then becoming the leader of the Christians, he was especially wanted. And it would have been a dangerous thing for him to go back there. He'd gone a couple times, met with the apostles, the, uh, the book of Galatians tells us, but uh, uh, he, he hadn't been there for a while. But he was being prompted by the Holy Spirit to go there. Prompted by the Holy Spirit to go there. That word prompt is the Greek word deo. Everybody say deo. It comes from a, a, a larger Greek word, dedemonos, de, de, de de uh, but it basically means to bind or to tie up. When he says constrained, he's talking about lassoed. And this is what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes on board and, uh, and basically ties himself around us, right? And as we uh, seek to follow him, as we seek to be in the volume day and honor him in his ways and in his will, there will be times, can you hold the other end for me? Oh, boo, boo, rope. There will be times, you ready? There you go. Uh, stand up, everybody, the Holy Spirit. Give it up for the Holy Spirit. There will be times as we are tethered to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will tell us to do stuff. And like Jonah, we're going to be like, oh, no, thank you. But then the Holy Spirit pulls the slack. And we try. Easy now, I'm on a stage. But we try <laughs> as hard as we can to go other ways. And sometimes we can't do this because the Holy Spirit shuts off whatever that option is. See Jonah again, the big fish, right? And so we'll get, well, we'll I'll just move to a different town and I'll start a different job. Or I'll just find a different spouse and I'll, I'll have a different marriage. Or I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll just but, but all the time, the Holy Spirit's like, no, that's not my purpose for your life. And he reigns us in to the things that he's called us to. And thank you, Holy Spirit. And the best life that any of us can live is a life that is listening for and responding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I told you last week, if you were here, let me just kind of clarify so I don't sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I think a lot of times when we have equally good moral choices, God doesn't want us to be crippled by analysis and trying to figure out what the best one is. And so I told you that there's freedom as long as we are uh, using our freedom responsibly to choose as God would have us choose. But I don't believe that in certain cases that's the case. In certain cases, God says, you must do this. And we can bring all the excuses as to why that's a bad idea, as to how that's going to mess up our expectations. But God will say, yeah. But these storm clouds that I have prepared for you, they're coming regardless of you wanting them or not. This, uh, this thing that I want to use you in in accomplishing my narrative for my glory, it's going to happen. Whether you like it or not. God's not trying to bow up on us. He's not trying to show he's the big man. He's just God. And his sovereign will is what matters. So for us, we just need to understand that when the pull of the Spirit comes, we just need to follow trusting him that he will lead and he will grant what we need for whatever he's called us to. Just go. Eleanor and I broke up three times, uh, twice actually, sorry, twice in college, and then on the third time we, we made it work, Brother Guy Scott. Um, anybody here break up with their spouse before you married him? No elbows. Anyway, here we go. Uh, we were in college. We were figuring things out. We were young. Um, uh, but the last time that we got together, uh, we had had a previous uh, sit-down, a coffee, uh, where 
obviously our love for each other, our fondness for each other, our chemistry and hanging out with each other was was just present. And both of our hearts longed uh, for each other, but, but Eleanor uh, was, was very passionate about the mission field as a college student, and she thought for sure that she was going to go there, and I wasn't very passionate about the mission field at that point. In fact, I didn't even know if I wanted to do ministry. How's that for you? Um, and so those two things didn't mix real well, and she felt if she was going to honor God that she would have to sacrifice the love that we were experiencing in our relationship together. I had matured to the point in Christ where when she told me that, I didn't get mad and want to throw things. I understood, but it was still just a huge letdown. So we left that meeting, and she continued to pray that God would lead her to wherever she was supposed to go and serve him. And I started to pray, God, whoever's next. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, she's made it pretty clear, you know. It was a month later, after a Christmas break, uh, my last year of college, that my phone rang in my dorm room. It's a very old statement. And... Uh, he was on the wall, and uh, it was Eleanor, and she asked if I could uh, sit with her in this chapel. Chapel was a part of the Christian college experience, and so I was like, yeah, I guess, and we sat next to each other in this uh, dedication chapel for the new gym that had been built by Moody Bible Institute, and uh, after that, she said, can we go sit and talk, and we went and sat and talked in the student, uh, you know, commons area or whatever. And uh, she informed me that as she had been praying and talking to wise counselors in her life, the people that she respected in the mission department and stuff like that, she'd gotten the same message over and over again. If God wants you on the mission field, he's certainly not going to let a dope like Saunders stand in your way, right? And so if you're supposed to be together, he'll figure that out together. They didn't call me a dope. But basically, she was opening the door for us to be together. And I prayed for about three seconds and asked God if this was as well, and that was it. And 27 and a half years later, here we stand. But that's just how quickly things can change. That's how much the Holy Spirit can kind of alter existences and reroute courses. A month before, we thought we were done. A month later, uh, we were heading towards marriage. Uh, go with God. Trust God. He'll prompt you. Sometimes into hard things, sometimes into better things. But he has the rope. The second thing that we can understand about this way of God, what we can expect, is we can expect uncertainty. Paul said this, he says, now I behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm constrained by the Spirit. I'm not knowing what will happen to me there. No kidding. If you were here last week, we know the past and the present. God knows past, present, and future. He holds our future. We don't. And Paul's like, I don't know what's going to happen there. Many of us wish we did. Who here, if you could know the future, would want to know it? That's a, that's, a, that's a quick answer for a lot of you. But maybe you've missed out on the fact that it's a broken world. And your future might include brokenness. How many people still want to know the future? Maybe not as many now. Yeah, but, but God knows our future. And he leaves us uncertain. Still, we come to him and we're like, you know, Jack and uh, a few good men. You want the truth, Right? Yes, I want the truth, God. You can't handle the truth, right? (laughs) We go to God, give me the details. And God says, I don't know if you want the details. It's like my my daughter, Kai, didn't ride roller coasters until we, you know, semi-lovingly fibbed to her about the rock and roller coaster over in uh, 
Uh, we told her it was just a very sedate indoor ride. There's no way there could be any twists or turns. It's inside. And she was convinced that there was no loop-de-loops or anything like that until uh, as the seat buckle was going down, she asked the attendant who had just, you know, locked her into this death machine, hey, are there any loop-de-loops? And he went. <laughs> but after that experience, uh, she, she's, she, she's queen roller coaster. She wants to go on all of them now, right? But if she had known about those things, my point being, she wouldn't have never got on that, that ride. And most of us, if we had known what we known about our, our, our past and how some things have turned out, maybe we wouldn't have gone. I can say that there's been seasons as a pastor that if I had known what was coming up was coming up, I would have consulted the want ads. Got to be something else. Don't want to go through that. Maybe in your marriages, maybe in your relationships. We just don't know what's coming. That's why I'm a, uh, a huge proponent of trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts and leaning not on our own understanding. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> you know what they say disappointment is? It's unmet expectations. And the more expectations you put on life, the more expectations you put on the God, on the God that loves you and has made you, <laughs> the better chance you have of being disappointed in life. You know what my motto in life is? Uh, and I'm growing into this even as I age. Whatever, Lord. Whatever you want. However you want. I trust you. I want to stay with you. And I'll see what you have for me in these uncertain things in life. If we adopt that mentality of acceptance, of understanding that we live in a broken world and broken things are going to happen, it takes so much stress out of your life. I was sitting at a restaurant yesterday with Eleanor and uh, Kai is, uh, uh, you know, we were just hanging out down in Ybor City at, uh, I can't remember the name of the diner there, but it's a nice diner. Anyway, didn't get the best service in the world. I'm just going to say that right out of the bat. Anybody ever had that expect, uh, that happened with a server? She comes up, sits down, what do you want? Oh, this is going to be great, right? So we tell her what we want and then she brings out some of our food, but not all of it. She forgets to fill our cups. She's, you know, she's just kind of distracted. And my expectation was... Good service. And you know how you get to tell people whether or not they gave you good service? It's called the TIP, right? So I'm standing there getting ready to pay my bill, and all of a sudden, what I'm preaching to you comes into my mind. And God says, hey, man, you don't know what's going on in this woman's life. You don't know what happened last night. You live in a broken world. She might have just forgot your salad. Settle down, cowboy. It's not personal. And so what was going to be a very uh, low number in tip because my expectations as I got to the counter were this changed because I was like, oh, yeah, broken things happen. And even when I am treated poorly, I still get to return whatever that was with grace and love. That needs to be our motto in life. I'm not talking about just being doormats and not having standards, not having plans and hopes and dreams, I'm not talking about any about that. But, but I am saying that when, when what we expect doesn't happen, don't see it as a curse. Don't see it as, as something that God is, is using to ruin your life. Accept it. Trust him. Move forward. Read Paul. I mean, Paul goes to prison over and over again. And he just, he just giggles about it. Oh, man, this is so awesome. Because his expectations were down here. 
For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I sacrifice all so that Christ can have all of me. The third thing we can expect is adversity. It says in verse 23, I expect that the Holy Spirit testify, excuse me, except, I don't know what's gonna happen, except this one thing, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Let's go. Now, what do they say? There's only, you know, a couple certain things, death and taxes, is that what it is? Christians understand, and yeah, okay, those things might be inevitable, but the, the one true thing that you can expect in life is adversity. Things are gonna be hard. Jesus said, hey, they hated me, speaking of the world, they're gonna hate you, right? People came to him and said, I wanna follow you, and he says, hey, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Just so you know, following me, it's not gonna be all, you know, ponies and posies. You're gonna have to understand that difficulty is just part of the experience. If you're here last week, we read from Romans how we, we can't truly understand Christ. We can't truly be a part of him except that we suffer with him. There, there's so much that God wants to teach us in the hard things, that he purposes them for us. He allows them to happen in our lives so that we can sand down the me in me and become more like the Christ that we have received. What must we accept as we live the Viam day? We must accept that life is lived best in obedient service to Jesus. This is where Paul arrives, and it's what I hope all of us arrive at as we move forward this weekend and into the rest of our lives. Paul, sensing the prompting of the Holy Spirit to go to a place that's not gonna be favorable, not knowing what lies around the corner, except that things are gonna be hard, he says this, he says, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What must we accept as we live the volume day? We must accept that life is best lived in obedient service to Jesus. In fact, if you're a Christian, that's the only life that makes any sense at all. Paul talks about it in some of his other writings in his letter to the Philippians. He'd just gotten done going through his resume. He says, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, I'm zealous. He's, he explains himself in great detail, but he says, you know, all of those accomplishments, all my trophies, everything that could be said about me at my funeral, I cast it aside. And he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That doesn't mean that everything in his life is trash, unimportant, insignificant. He's just drawing a comparison. He says, listen, when it comes to Jesus and anything else in life, everything else in life is garbage. Nothing comes close and the level of its importance when it comes to my Savior, Jesus Christ. It's something I pray for and strive for, something I hope for as I live this life with you and for him, is that there be less, like John said, 
I must decrease. John the Baptist, when Jesus was coming, I must decrease so that he might increase. I want to be less and less of me. I want to let go of my entitlements, my expectations. I want to let go of of, uh, having to have what I want before God gets what he wants. Paul got there, and he changed through the grace of God and the prompting of the Holy Spirit the world. Oh, that he'd do the same with us as individuals, as a church, in our great expectations. May we always submit to the plans and the ways of God. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for a chance to open your word this morning, to hear from you. I pray we did. Uh, Would you lead us, Lord, in this life, uh, knowing that you're for us and not against us, uh, that your plan Your sovereign will for all things is um, your design for bringing yourself the most glory uh, that you can possibly receive and for giving us the most good that we could possibly have. Even in the hard things, God, you're working for our good. Help us to accept that. We say that we trust you, Lord, and most of us have a ceiling when it comes to that. We'll trust you this much as long as you don't take this from me or as long as that doesn't require this of me. But, Lord, help us to go beyond our ceiling and trust, and and to just fully, as Paul did, just lay everything out, count all things as loss in comparison to our heart for you. Grant us that, I pray, as a church. Grant us that, I pray, as individuals, so that as we go to our homes, uh, we can leave expectations and the, uh, the disappointment that often arises from not experiencing them. Leave those to the side and just receive from you whatever you desire for us. Help us not to be lazy. Help us not to use that as an excuse to just be fatalistic and, and just, you know, not work on the things that you want us to work on. But, Lord, help us to just <laughs> rejoice in whatever life you've given us. Uh, you've given us so much. Thank you for your goodness and grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And have a great week.